Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of Med Street Journal podcast. Today I'm joined by an awesome guest, Mr. Maya Fudke. He uh, leads partnerships with tech and digital health companies within the health tech and digital health industry. So I'm excited to have him on and just learn more about his story and his journey and what he's currently doing and what he sees in the industry. So with that being said, Amaya, welcome to the podcast. Really, really happy to be here. No problem. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Why don't you give listeners a brief background of who you are and how you actually got into healthcare? Yeah, so I, um, it's actually kind of a funny story. So, you know, I started out my career as a scientist um, and then, you know, quickly moved on to the commercial and strategy side, you know, spent a lot of time at, you know, large companies and small companies alike, um, you know, both on the med tech, pharma, as well as the digital health side. Um, and a lot of it has been spent on really operationalizing, you know, what, you know, how these kinds of large companies can, can use the different kinds of innovations that are coming out of, out of the health tech and digital health space, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, right now my role is heavily focused on, you know, finding these partnerships um, and really finding really good, re- a really good strategic fit and doing partnerships in a way that generates a really good outcome, obviously for, you know, for the company that I work for, um, but also for, um, you know, for the partner company. Um, and, you know, just, I just also wanted to add a quick, um, you know, quick customary note that, you know, I'm, you know, what, you know, what you're about to hear from my side, you know, these are my opinions in mine alone and, you know, not necessarily uh, those of my employer, a company called Chiesi. Um, but yeah, with that said, I'm really happy to share my own opinions and uh, really excited to share what, what I'm seeing in the space as well. Yeah, definitely. And me and you were talking kind of before you we went live on how health tech CEOs can look to partner with larger companies. And I just want to follow up on that topic and see get your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what makes things easier is if I think I tell, tell a little bit of a story, right? So imagine, and this is, it's a hypothetical story, but as you know, unfortunately something that happens quite a bit. So you're a health tech CEO. um, You know, you've, you know, you've built a decent, decent client list. And, you know, one day a person from one of the largest players in your space approaches you and says, hey, we'd like to, we'd like to collaborate. And this is obviously a very exciting thing for you. I mean, this is a company with, you know, which spends in the billions of dollars and so, you know, has a lot of star power. And, you know, as conversations kick off, you know, this is a person, a really, really fancy title, VP of Advanced Innovation or, or what have you. And the conversation very quickly turns into, well, you know, we're interested in collaborating, but we need to do a pilot or a proof of concept first. Um, you th- that's you know, perfectly reasonable. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you kick off this pilot, um, it goes on for one, two, three months. Um, you know, some of your other clients aren't necessarily getting the attention that you were able to give them before, but, you know, it's all good because, you know, this is something that could potentially land a contract that's 10 times bigger and ultimately make you a stronger company, which allow you to, to serve your other clients better as well. Well, at the end of this three-month pilot, you know, you sit down with this person and they basically indicate that saying, well, you know, this is great. You know, we're really impressed. You know, internal priorities have shifted and so we're not really going to be able to commit to anything right now. And so you spent three months in, this, in these deep conversations. You've dealt with a lot of custom requests, a lot of custom development for this pilot um, with really nothing to show for it. And this happens all the time. 
Um, and it's not, it's not because of lack of intent for the large company to partner. It's not because the health tech company that their technology isn't promising. You know, a lot of it's just, you know, the expectations and the incentives need to align. So the good news is I think if you're a little careful um, and you, you know, do some of the right things, you can, you can avoid this situation. And it's something that I've seen a lot of health tech CEOs fall into. Um, so it's just something to really be aware of. Do you think when health tech companies and CEOs are looking to get partnerships and they're starting with this pilot program, and you said they're investing this time and effort into actually doing the pilot program, do you think that a mistake in approach that they have is they try to be too sales focused rather than more value focused? Is that something that you've seen? I think that's part of it. I think honestly, so even, you know, what is value, right? So I think the question that um, a health tech startup CEO should really ask themselves, you know, before embarking on this is what do they want to get out of this partnership, right? Because that's, um, and let me, let me qualify what that means. You know, the ex, so if you're a company that's, you know, pre-seed, you have like a minimum viable product and you're really looking for that one killer customer to work with you and really make your product better by virtue of serving them, that's, that's one thing. Versus if you're looking for something that's much more of a vendor supplier relationship where, um, you know, you've built a product that you like and you ju- you're just looking for this as, as a, as you know, almost like fuel as a rocket ship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, both of those you know, organizations in the industry exist that can serve both of those needs extremely well as, as clients. Um, but very rarely is the same organization able to do both. So when you say value, I think you, I think the, the startup CEO also needs to ask themselves, you know, what do they want, right? So just as an example, if they, if they want, you know, something like, a, if they just want like a proof of, con, like a proof point, right, to be able to get this into the hands of a large company to get some feedback on how to make their product better, um, you know, maybe having their logo on their client list makes them more credible for fundraising and things. That's one thing, right? If they're looking to scale things, if they're actually looking to scale this into a large revenue generating project, completely different focus and often completely different web of stakeholders on the other side. So I don't think that, it, I don't necessarily know that it's, it's a mistake of going sales versus value. I think the question is, is what you're selling? And, you know, more importantly, ask yourself, does this company deserve you as a vendor, right? It's not just about you selling to them. They should be selling to you. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. That makes complete sense. And one thing that you said that really stuck out to me is understanding what you want to get out of the partnership before even entering the partnership or even facilitating that conversation. And to me, it all comes down to really reverse engineering your company and truly understanding where you guys are and what stage you're at. And it's doing your homework. It's it's qualification, right? And this is this is not unique to health tech. I mean, this is sort of B2B sales 101, but, um, you know, simple things, right? So just as an example, you know, uh, I, you know, one of the best piece of advice I heard was when you as a health tech, uh, when you're representing a health tech company, you're sitting down with a large company. Number one, you want to make sure that there actually is budget for the initiative that you're embarking on. The second question, arguably just as important is figuring out whose budget is actually paying for this, right? Cause that tells you, for example, whether the organization is how deep the problem you're solving is, it tells you um, where, you know, who the stakeholders that you have to please really are. So for example, is this money coming from like an innovation fund budget, so to speak, that the organization has to explore? 
or is it coming from a core business budget, right? You're solving something that's like deeply ingrained. Um, and I'm, you know, one's not better than the other. I think each of these two initiatives have their, their place. You just have to figure out what works for you and what's the right one for your company. Ah, okay. That makes sense. So when talking about partnerships and how these CEOs can get partnerships with larger organizations, yeah. Should they be at a specific stage before you be considering trying to find people to help them, whether it's a pilot or whatever? Not necessarily. I think, um, you know, so just as an example, you know, a number of large organizations have these like pilot and incubator programs. They're called like incubator programs. They're called accelerators. Um, Those are pretty good if you have like a relatively early stage product. You just need a little bit of help. You want you want to get a set of eyes in the industry on it. Right. So, you know, there are there are companies that are set up to be very good partners to early stage companies. However, you know, if you go in with a really early stage product, you know, you don't really have a full sort of customer success team and you're expecting to scale that to, you know, two, three, five million dollar year account um, without that infrastructure in place, you're setting yourself up for failure. So I don't think it's necessarily a I don't think there's ever a point that you're sort of too early. I think you have to look at the the organization you're talking to and see, are they equipped to help you where you are? Because the other part is when you work with them, there's going to be a lot of custom requests that come your way. Now, ideally you've chosen a partner whose custom requests map to the industry. And so by virtue of solving their custom requests and doing that custom development, you're making your, you're bringing your product closer to product, what we call product market fit. Um, but a lot of it is really homework on the partner company. Um, and this is where, you know, your investors can come in. I mean, you know, make them earn that part of the company that they've taken, right? Um, it's where your executive team is really helpful. Um, and it's also, you know, it's, health tech is a really small world, right? I, you know, what I, one thing I keep telling companies is, you know, the companies that are really, really, really good for partnership at a given stage and the companies that are really, really, really bad at partnering, they, that reputation gets out there. So just make a few phone calls, right? You know, call, you know, talk to people you trust that know the industry that don't really have a stake in the game. Um, and just know that, you know, you do your homework is basically what I'm saying before you put too much time and energy into it and just make sure again, that the other organization has, has skin in the game. I mean, what I tell people is if, if you, if you guys embark on this project and you fail, there should be some pain on the other organization side, right? Cause that's how they have skin in the game. Yeah. So it's more of a collaboration rather than one side performing most of the work. Absolutely. I mean, that's, if you really want to work with these large companies, that tends to be the best framework. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't do it for money. I'm not saying you should do it for free. Um, but I think you can also, structure how you get paid in a way that's in a way that aligns both parties incentives. That's like the most, make sure your incentives are aligned with the organization and make sure you have the right internal champion. I can't stress those two things enough. Um, and that's, that's like 90% of the battle to be honest. <laughs> nice. And so you said something um, just a couple of seconds ago about how health tech and digital health is such a small world. It's like a broad industry, but such a small world. And so everybody knows, trying, everybody knows everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. That's like good and bad. So if you're not performing, words want to get around. But if you're performing, yeah. words want to get around. I mean, you know, I won't name specific companies here, but there are companies that are known to be 
excellent, excellent, excellent partners for really early stage companies, right? And so companies proactively seek them out. There's also companies that are known to be the sort of the companies that pull you into death by a thousand pilot. And so, um, you know, eventually, eventually karma catches up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, you know, if, if you look, you'll find footprints of that, right? So, you know, most of these, com- many companies are, you know, there's typically something in the press about who they've partnered with. Reach out to those companies, right? Especially ones that may have partnered a couple of years ago and say, hey, look, how's it going? You know, I've been speaking to these companies. Like, do, do as much homework as you can because, you know, it's, it sounds like a lot of legwork up front, but it's, it, that legwork is well worth it just so you know what you're walking into. And again, I know it's sometimes hard to turn away a large client um, or a large potential client, but sometimes the best deals are the ones that you walk away from. Mm. Dang, that's a good one. <laughs> um, so you kind of answered this earlier, but I had to make a note of it. And I want to talk about finding partnerships and how you go about doing that. You had mentioned leveraging the investors, putting them yeah. to work, making them earn their share. You've also mentioned accelerators and incubators. Are there, what sort of advice do you have for companies looking to find partnerships? And are there any partnerships that kind of stick out to you that, that kind of just stuck and like, hey, this works. These companies are a good fit. So I think we're early enough that I can't yet tell um, whether certain ones are going to work or not. But what I can, you know, what I can tell you. So let me answer your question um, in in part. So the first one around where to find partners. Um, you know, I think conferences are a decent place to start. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges that you know you as a health tech CEO may run into is, you know, when you meet someone from a given company, how do you know who that person is at that company in terms of like you know how they're set up, you know, what their mandate is. Um, and there's really no shortcut, you know, talk to as many people at a given company as you can. Um, you know, you have, you know, a lot of these companies are actually partnering with accelerators to bring them deals that fit a certain profile. Um, what also helps is doing a lot of what I call prospecting. So think about your use case, think about the problem that you solve, and then think in very specific terms which companies are really getting killed by the problem that you solve, right? And if you can articulate that and get it to the right person in the right way, at, at the very least, you'll get a phone call, right? So, um, you know, I think there's, I think the other part that I really think companies need to, um, need to take into account is, is this whole process of, of how to get in the door. Um, it's very intimidating, um, but if you, you know, if you, if you approach it in the right, in the right systematic way, it's really not that bad. Um, which, you know, we can also tackle if, if you'd be interested in, um, to talk about how that works. But yeah, I mean, I think just getting in front of eyeballs is really important. Getting in front of the right investors. Again, it's such an interconnected community. People are swapping ideas back and forth all the time. So if you meet someone, there may not be a fit with their organization, but they may have someone who they know at organization B that they sort of want to build some brownie points with and they'll direct you to them. So a lot of it's just being really active on the on the outbound side. And then also, again, just doing a lot of prospecting and, um, you know, if there's if finding that organization that your, um, your company's solution just like solves a massive pain point and then just reach out to them, um, and be bold. Right. I mean, there's no, what's the downside, right? The downside is they don't, they don't, they don't respond. Um, the upside is you, you get your foot in the door. It's, yeah. it sounds very old fashioned. Um, but obviously, and uh, you know, warm referrals are obviously helpful. And again, that's where, you know, your investors can, can be really helpful as well. Yeah. By staying active and just really engaging, like you said, to having that outbound strategy. But I think what's really important is 
like not trying to automate it. You know, like you see that no. all over LinkedIn, <laughs> especially recently, people just automating messages. But what I find has the best success, especially um, what I'm noticing for yeah. myself, is just being authentic, being genuine. I mean, let me give you an example of something that I that like to this date is probably one of the best initial meetings I've ever sat in. Um, so this is a company that was introduced that that I was introduced to. Um, and it wasn't entirely clear to me that what they did was relevant to us, but you know, the person that introduced like, no, no, you should, you should definitely meet these guys. And, um, what the CEO of this company did coming in was actually generate some mock-ups of how this product would, would look right. I mean, it was, it was something that probably didn't take them very long to do proactively did it and automatically made, made it sort of stick home he mapped it exactly to the problems that, you know, that the industry is having. Um, so, you know, all that proactive work, I mean, that's like what I call, that's what I call hustle, right? Um, yeah. Is, um, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a working demo, but, you know, it was, it was just mock-ups on a screen saying, hey, yeah, this is what it would look like implemented, implemented. It was, it, I, that's, and that really stuck out, right? And so I think doing, doing things like that, will will blow people away. I think the other so you mentioned LinkedIn. I mean I'll you know I'll talk about emails with pitch decks and things like that as well. And I think people get into this trap of saying the pitch deck has to convey everything because you know the pitch deck is really what I'm going to use to close a deal. And that's that's a huge mistake. The pitch deck's only purpose is to convince someone that you're worth getting on the phone with. Right. So once the person gets on the phone with you and you do a demo, the pitch deck has done its job. At that point, so only put as many details in there as are necessary to get you that phone call. Um, send, again, the job of the demo is maybe to get into a proof of concept or a pilot. The job of the pilot is to close the deal. So, you know, really discretizing that and breaking it up into these specific discrete chunks, what I call conversion process, makes it a lot more systematic as opposed to, because otherwise, you know, I'll see like a 72-page quote-unquote introduction deck That'll just, you know, by the time I've gone halfway through, I forgot what the company was talking about in the first place. So, and, or I see ones that are so high level that it's really not meaningful. So there's a lot of things. And again, you know, we're using technology more and more, but I think a lot of this is just old fashioned, old fashioned needs prospecting, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to prospecting, we kind of touched a little bit on outbound and just reaching out, networking and being active in the community and then kind of on inbound and just creating content and creating content around your company and the topics that you guys are covering and the problems that you solve. Now, how would you weigh each of them? Would you give more weight to the outbound? Would you say that's more important versus the inbound and like creating the right content for the company to attract people? It really depends on what you do. Um, and I know that sounds like kind of a cop-out answer, <laughs> but um, it's it's true, right? So creating content is interesting, but the purpose of content is to know, you know, for people to know what you do and that you exist again, as you said, to improve the quality of your inbounds. Um, you know, as far as weight, it really depends. I mean, to be honest, you know, I've there's companies I've talked to that had phenomenal pitches that didn't generate any like sort of content like their website was not particularly good but you know it was in the meeting and it was was amazing right um i've also seen companies that focus so heavily on content creation 
that they kind of lose sight of what they're, they be, it's, you know, it's a company, it's almost like their, their product is their content, not their actual product. So you really have to strike a balance and it's something where, um, you, you have to think through the specific problem that you sell, the specific people within the organization that are going to be the buyers and the users. What's the best way? And it's usually a synergistic approach, right? I mean, it does, you don't have to go for a, one or the other, right? But I think it's using them both as a combination in a meaningful way. Um, that, that is really what you, what you want to do. There isn't really a there isn't really a mix. It, 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 there isn't really a pre-prescribed mix, like 40% content, 60% inbounder or what have you. And it's also dependent on your company, right? Like in terms of what you believe is, is you, um, you know, so if you're, if you're a company that likes to keep it, keep its head down, you know, let action speak for it, sort of be kind of on the radar and be sort of execution focused, pivoting to becoming, you know, blasting out content and sending 30,000 newsletters, you could do it but it's not you. So you have to take all these things into account. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of comes back to reverse engineering and looking at things from a high level game plan, knowing your company, knowing who your company. And honestly, if there's one thing that comes out, it's always authenticity. Um, And it's always really appreciated because, you know, having that authenticity. So what I found to really start any partnership on the right foot, trust is really important, right? I mean, anytime two parties enter an agreement, there's a certain amount of trust that they're both taking that, you know, the other party isn't going to try to, and you can put any turn, any number of contractual protections in place, but ultimately it comes down to do you trust the other party to, to do their thing. And, you know, being authentic to who you are, it sounds really fluffy, but it, it I mean, I can tell you time and again, it comes through. Nice. Awesome. And so before we kind of end on the rapid fire round, a little exercise I like to end the podcast with. I want to get your opinion on something and just see what sort of trends you see in the industry. Since yeah. you deal with a lot of companies and you deal with a lot of CEOs and a lot of people in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think there. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of trends that are that are going on. Um, you know, I think a few interesting ones that I'm seeing now, and these are probably not going to be a huge surprise, especially, you know, with the coronavirus pandemic is, um, you know, we're really, I'm really seeing a level of interest in sort of patient management or patient self-management platforms that I hadn't seen before, right? Especially in markets that, you know, places like Europe or Asia that traditionally weren't as open to these kinds of solutions, you're starting to see them more and more, right? So solutions that allow patients to manage their own condition. Um, you know, these these platforms have always shown promise, but, you know, there's always been this inertia from the healthcare systems because, you know, oh, that's not how we do things here, blah, blah, blah. Well, I think the COVID situation has forced those systems to, to use some of them, right? And, you know, a classic example is, is an explosion of telehealth. I mean, even when COVID goes away, I think telehealth is here to stay, just just as an example. And I suspect self-management is going to go through that as well, right? Where you really, you know, you really make the patient accountable and the champion of their care and you provide them the tools to do that. Um, And the patient is much more of a partner um, in their own health, which I know, again, sounds fluffy, but we're already starting to see, we're starting to see some really interesting data points around that. Um, You know, in terms of the level of investment, things still seem to be going strong. I mean, I think the need is still there. We'll just have to see from an economic impact 
what happens because ultimately those economic impacts, those economic effects, you know, will trickle out to the, you know, to the investors and the venture funds, but we're not there yet. Um, so yeah, just, you know, super, super interesting stuff. Um, especially on the self-management side. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've definitely seen the impact that telehealth has, especially just like now we're on Zoom recording this audio for the podcast. But then, like you said, self-management, the patient management, that's also interesting as well because you're getting the patients, the consumers more involved and you're more transparent with data. And from the patient side, I'm assuming just allows them to feel more comfortable with what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And so we're kind of coming up towards the end of the podcast. And we've been talking about a lot of very valuable insights, such as like partnerships and trends in the industry, and what CEOs should be conscious of and what they should be looking out for. But I kind of want to end on a little more lighter exercise, something I call the rapid fire round. So I'll ask you a couple questions and you just give me the first answer that you come up with. Okay. All right. (laughs) Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Uh, the big short. Oh, okay. Seen that movie. <laughs> the book's 10 times better. Oh, okay. I'm at to read it now. Yep. Who is the most influential person in your life or career? Um, my dad. Ah, nice. Shout out to Pops. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? One goal I want to accomplish this year. Uh, that's a really good one. I have like 17 of them. Um, very specific number. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's, I think it's really around, um, and you know, sounding cheesy, but it's, um, you know, I think it's, you know, using this time, you know, using this time working from home to, you know, to be sort of more, you know, to be more, um, to, you know, to, to provide, to, to, to provide my family the kind of time that, you know, would have been difficult to do, you know, otherwise. Oh, okay. And, And make the most of the situation. Yeah. More of a family man. I like it. And then last one, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? One piece of advice I'd give to my 20-year-old self. Um, stay hungry and stay foolish. Ah, nice. Awesome. Well, I mean, that concludes today's episode of the podcast. Amaya, I just want to thank you again for jumping on and just sharing your knowledge, your expertise, and how health tech CEOs can look to partner with larger companies and just sharing what you think are some trends and what you're excited about in the industry. So I found a lot of value from it and I know the listeners will also find a lot of value. So I just want to say thank you. My pleasure. And, you know, I think if, you know, just on one parting note, again, to the health tech CEOs, it's, it's a time like no other to be running a health tech company. Um, And, you know, don't take what I, don't take my word for these things. Right. I mean, I think this is a time for you to really challenge these assumptions you know, talk to a number of, you know, you talk to 10 people that are professionals in the space and they'll tell you 10 different things. This is really that, you know, we're, we're in uncharted territory, which is scary, but at the same time, there's massive opportunity that comes with it. And, um, you know, do your homework, but, you know, at the same time, don't lose a sense of optimism. Gotcha. Gotcha. A lot of opportunity out there. All right. Well, that being said, that concludes today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.